a good move. Why'd you dance him? Dancing is forbidden. Running crew, welcome to Dancing is Forbidden and Aqua Teen Hunger Force Exploration. I am Ronnie, and on this podcast, I am watching through and talking about every Aqua Teen episode, one episode at a time. And the episode we are watching and talking about this week is season two, episode four, Supercomputer. My bad itches. Supercomputer, the fourth episode to air. However, it was the first in the production order for this season, and why it was pushed back to the fourth spot in terms of airing, I do not know, because this will be our first episode this season in this air order, and even if it aired in production order with a guest star. Up until this point, we have only had the main Aqua Teen cast, but in this one, we get a little guest star in the form of John Glazer, and I will go into him a bit later, but excited to talk about him and excited to talk about this episode because, spoiler alert, it's really good. And since I mentioned John Glazer, I have to point out that MC Chris makes an appearance in this episode, as well as Matt Malero on voice duties too. So lots of voice actors in this one compared to the last three that we've covered, which have basically just had the main three voice actors alongside C. Martin Croker doing the Dr. Weird skits, which funny enough, he is not in this one because we'll get to it, but uh, this, this Dr. Weird skit very quick and there's no dialogue in it. Anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself and I didn't even mention when this episode aired. Of course, seven days after the previous episode we covered, Super Bowl. This one aired June 15th, 2003. And before we keep discussing this episode, as always, we've got a bunch of other stuff to talk about first. In terms of Aqua Teen news this week, not a whole lot to talk about. Of course, we are still soaking in the plethora of articles, memes, anything you can imagine regarding how last week was the 15th anniversary of the Boston Moon and Night Bomb Panic. And if you did not listen to the last episode in this feed, the Community Jiggle for January, go listen to it because we go into it there. And speaking of that Community Jiggle, I'm really, really happy to see and thankful that the download numbers on that are really similar to these episodes. I was, of course, afraid it, it being a new kind of format for the show that nobody would want to listen to it, thinking it was about other stuff. But hopefully you were pleased with the amount of Aqua Teen content in that one. It's mostly going to be about Aqua Teen stuff going forward with, of course, the end being about some other miscellaneous stuff. But yeah, I just feel so well-rested in terms of talking about Aqua Teen from doing that, that I'm all hyped up and ready to jump back into these deep dives. So I'm really glad that you seem to enjoy them because it really recharges my batteries and, and keeps me going fresh once we hit the beginning of the month again. And I mentioned it on Instagram, but I had a really great time making that episode, that community jiggle, and I really look forward to doing this next one. Like I said in that one, February's community jiggle will be a lot more well-documented, and I'll have a lot more prepared going into that one. Of course, recapping all the episodes we'll be covering this month and sharing your thoughts on the Aqua Teen episodes as well, and any other miscellaneous Aqua Teen stuff I find over the course of the month, which is a lot because I'm sitting here looking up Aqua Teen stuff all day, trying to find the good bits to tell you about. And sometimes it's not really related to the actual episode we're talking about. So it's cool to have a spot over on the community jiggle to talk about there. And as a thank you to those who tuned in, 
to last week's community jiggle, or last month's, I suppose, although it was a week ago from this episode. Uh, at the end of that episode, I said, hey, reach out to me for some free stickers. Just send me a screenshot of your rating or review the show. I'll send you some stickers. So the winners of that have been contacted, and you will be getting your stickers sent out very shortly. And if you didn't listen to the end, well, you played yourself. Good job. So moving on, I've got some voice messages to play for you this week that I'm very excited about. It's been a hot minute since I've played some voice messages, so let's get into it. We've got Kalani with a very great story for you. Hey, Ronnie. Love what you're doing. This is Kalani here. Been a fan of Aqua Teen since I was about six years old. A uh, couple of good memories I got. Um, the first one that really sticks out is for Halloween, I think 2002, actually dressed up as Shake. We, um, My family... We went to Walmart and bought a plastic trash can that had a lid on top of it, and we spray painted it white. We cut the bottom out of it and a couple of holes for my arms and then a little slot for my eyes. Uh, my brother painted the face on it, and I wore yellow gloves. And we had a uh, we bought a pool noodle and we cut it up and super glued it to make it look like shake straw. It was pretty awesome. Only had a couple of people actually realize who I actually was at that time, but I hope to actually, you know, make that costume again sometime soon. And then I actually got to see the movie in theaters when it made its initial run. Um, only one theater in my town had it for just a weekend, and my brother actually snuck me in for an early birthday present, and it was pretty awesome. I uh, that opening with the the candy and the popcorn just gonna kill your family. It's pretty great. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Love listening to you. Thanks, Kalani. Thank you so much for sharing this story. I absolutely love that about you dressing up as Shake for Halloween. And if this was 2002, even if it was 2003 or 2004, that makes you a really early adopter as such a small child of Aqua Teen. That is amazing. And definitely not surprised that you weren't really recognized as Master Shake back in the day, but it's cool that a few people did. And if you ever do dress up as Master Shake again for Halloween, please send that photo over. I would love to see it. And Kalani hit us up with another message, but this one I'm going to wait to play for when we cover Revenge of the Trees. And when Kalani sent that message to me, it looks like he followed me on Instagram around the same time. So I checked out his page and our boy Kalani's got a nice drum set. Let me just leave it at that. This guy knows how to pound the skins. Next up, the cybernetic ghost of Christmas past from the future has left us a very foreboding message. So let's listen to it before it's too late. Hello, Ronald. I am the cybernetic ghost of Christmas past. You see, the Moonanites are planning an attack on the Earth. Thus, you must stop them. What you need to do is you need to keep talking about vintage adult swim shows on your various podcasts, which will then let you harness the power of the wristwatch, the almighty wristwatch, which will then let you unleash the time beam upon the moon ice, which will fry them. If you don't do this in time, however, well then, the moon ice will make the moon smaller, thus letting the sun reflect out of the size and burn giant holes into the ground, which will then unleash the almighty lemur will come and begin to eat the earth whilst characters from posters hop out and the sky turns black and a book loses its page somewhere, which will drive one person at least insane. <laughs> so, Ronald, do you want to stop this power of the almighty lemur? 
and the Moon Knights before they can steal your DVDs. Yes. Oh, yes. Did I forget to mention that they steal DVDs? Well, whatever. Point is, continue talking about these podcasts. You're already doing a good job, but I can sense they're attacking. Oh, my goodness gracious. We are so lucky that the cybernetic ghost of Christmas past told us this information. Now I know I must keep podcasting about Aqua Teen and other vintage Adult Swim shows. If for anything, so that that page does not fall out of that book driving one person insane. And also to protect my Aqua Teen DVDs. The problem is I'm not really a wristwatch kind of guy. So, you know, that, that might get us into some trouble with all this. But, but I'll take it as it comes. Thank you for those wonderful voice messages. If you would like to send in your own voice message for the chance for it to get played on the show, please send that over to speakpipe.com slash dancing is forbidden or check the show notes. Really appreciate everybody who has sent one in. It's been a lot of fun to hear from you. And of course, we still have some impressions to play that I will sprinkle throughout the season. So, all right, we've got community stuff out of the way, news out of the way, everything out of the way. Let's see what the heck was going on June 15th, 2003. Getting lost from its dad, but still finding its way to the top of the box office this week. We have Finding Nemo bringing in a cool $28.3 million, reclaiming its number one spot from Too Fast, Too Furious. Get out of here, Vin Diesel. Get out of here, Paul Walker. We got a little clownfish that we want to watch again. So if you'd like to hear me talk more about Finding Nemo, check out the episode on Superhero because I go more into it there. So I'm just going to leave Finding Nemo there. Let's move on to some television real quick. On June 13th, so two days previous, we have The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy debuting on Cartoon Network. Now, they were kind of around as shorts in the Grim and Evil series, but now they have their own show dedicated just to Grim and Billy and Mandy. And I remember liking this show as a kid. You have the Grim Reaper with a Jamaican accent for some reason, and he's kind of just hanging out with with a really cynical, tough little girl and a really dumb, happy-go-lucky boy. That's it for film and television this week. Moving on, what is our number one album in the United States this week? The week, of course, that Supercomputer debuted. What is it? Let me hear it. That's right, we've got horny English rockers, Led Zeppelin with How the West Was Won. And don't worry, you are listening to an Aqua Teen show. This is 2003. While this live album was recorded in 1972, it wasn't released until 2003. And it was spliced together between two performances recorded in 72 in California. And guitarist Jimmy Page considers Led Zeppelin at this point to have been at their artistic peak in 72, not 2003. But all right, we're talking about Zeppelin. I gotta mention Greta Van Fleet because this band gets a lot of flack that I do not think is fair. Look, if you don't know who Greta Van Fleet is, they are a current band made up of some young men who sound like Led Zeppelin. And they don't hide this fact, but at the same time, they get so much hate. Everyone hates on them, and I just just don't think it's fair. Let me play you something from Greta Van Fleet's newest album, The Battle at Garden's Gate, which came out last year.
Yeah, it's not the most original sound in the world, but what's the problem? Why do people got to be so negative? I simply don't understand. We got some young men making some fun music for people who like classic rock. Nothing wrong with that. Back to Led Zeppelin, though. Of course, you got to love them, despite any pedophilic tendencies, which that could fill up its own uh, podcast episode. They are my dad's favorite band. So, hey, I've been hearing lots of these songs since I was a little kid. Moving on, our Billboard Top 100 song this week, again, is 21 Questions by 50 Cent and Nate Dogg. These guys, hey, they're at the top of the game right now. What can I say? So I looked at some other popular tracks from that time, and I'm just going to mention at number six, we got Bring Me to Life by Evanescence. That's right. Wake Me Up Inside, Evanescence sitting at number six. Wanted to shout them out there because, you know, I'm sure that they need my promotion for them. And then our alternative track for the week is still Headstrong by Trapped. I want to point out to you that in my notes, I wrote it correctly as Trapped, T-R-A-P-P-E-D. But, you know, I I was forgetting, look, people didn't learn how to spell until the mid-2010s. So, of course, Trapped is spelled T-R-A-P-T. That is the correct spelling for the band. And, you know, I'm sure people still misspell band names these days. I'm just cherry picking. So that's our music for the week. Got some crazy stuff going on. We're all over the place here. Let's move on to our old video games. We, we can chat about some of those for a hot second. On June 13th, Obsidian Entertainment is founded, and Obsidian have developed some games that I have played and enjoyed. They developed South Park, The Stick of Truth, which I really loved. If you're a South Park fan and you like video games, check out Stick of Truth. I mean, you probably have if you are a South Park fan, but it's literally like being in an episode of South Park, but there's some fun RPG aspects to it, and I was just blown away by this game. Best of all, I beat it in about seven hours, which I always appreciate a short game. Of course, that game not coming out until well over a decade after this episode of Aqua Teen aired, but the studio that developed it was founded, Then they also developed the game Grounded which I did play. It's a uh, survival game where you're, you're a kid and you get shrunk down to be smaller than an ant and you have to kind of live in your yard and try and figure out how to get big again. Really fun experience with that game. But all right, what game did come out this week? Well, on the 9th, we've got Donkey Kong Country coming to the Game Boy Advance. Now you can be a big gorilla and his small son, Uh, exploring the jungle on the go. You're not confined to your Super Nintendo anymore. You can uh, go outside and get some fresh air. As I alluded to, the original Donkey Kong Country game came out in 1994, so this isn't a new game. But yeah, it's ported to the Game Boy Advance. You can take it out with you. And that's really all that we have going on this week for video games. Not a ton to talk about. Any Donkey Kong fans, I'm sorry. I don't have a whole lot to say about this. You know, of course, I'm familiar with Donkey Kong, but I've never been a fan of platform games, really. So yeah, that's really all there is. Hey, I like bananas. I can relate to that. So that's it for our pop culture this week. You just caught the Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy on TV. You're so excited they got their own show because it's better than that Evil Con Carne show that they were bundled with previously. And your dad is rocking out to the Led Zeppelin live album. He doesn't have to listen to his shitty bootleg of the show anymore. He has an official release. And now you don't have to use your older brother's Super Nintendo to play Donkey Kong anymore. You can play it on your own terms. Well, you're getting tired of Donkey Kong because it's not that fun. So, so what's coming on Adult Swim that night? Because uh, you, you want something else to do now. Well, let me tell you. At 11 p.m., we've got Home Movies with Hiatus. 11.30 p.m., Harvey Birdman with Dead Mutt Part 1. 
both of these not new episodes, but we got some new episodes this week. What do we got? 11.45, you know, we got Aqua Teen with Supercomputer. That is not news to you. At least I hope it's not. If it is, then I don't know what you're doing. And at midnight, we've got CLEB 2021 with Article 4, another new episode. But after that, my friends, I'm sorry to say, no more new episodes. We got Space Ghost at 12.15 with Zorak. At 12.30, we've got The Oblongs with Pickles Lil' Amazons. At 1 a.m., we get Rain the Conqueror, A Prophecy Born This Day. And at 1.30 a.m., we get Lupin the Third Part 2, The Return of Lupin the Third. So that's our week. Uh, not a lot. Really, you know, Aqua Teen and Celeb being the only new episodes. It's kind of our trend right now. And both of those shows really carrying this lineup. Now, of course, Home Movies is great. Harvey Birdman is great. These other shows are great. But, but they're episodes that are aired a lot. So people are probably sick of them. So, uh... Yeah, it's, it's nice that we've got at least two shows giving you some new content this week. But all right, I have set the stage wonderfully, I might add, for us to really appreciate supercomputers. So let's cut the jibber-jabber, at least about this topic. Let's go jibber-jabber about Aqua Team. Check it out. Check it out, y'all. Check it, check oh, it out. Check it out. This episode of Dancing is Forbidden is brought to you by Keys. Are you trying to start your car? Are you trying to get into your house? Are you trying to calm down a prehistoric caveman trashing your home while attempting to rip his own head off? Well, try some keys. Keys. Jingle jangle. They'll get you going. This episode of Dancing is Forbidden is also, as always, I don't know why I, I became Christopher Walken there. Anyways, this episode of Dancing is Forbidden is also brought to you by the Moon Masters over on Patreon.com slash Dancing is Forbidden. And I would like to welcome two new additions to the roster. We've got John O'Tree joining us at the birthday dollar tier. Thank you so much, John O'Tree. John O'Tree also hopping into the Dancing is Forbidden Discord and sharing his ramen cup decorated with Master Shake on it, explaining that he lives near the Cup Noodle Museum in Japan. And when you go there, you get to design your own cup. So our boy John O'Tree, you know he put some Master Shake on that bad boy. Why wouldn't he? So thank you, Jano Tree. I also have to shout out our new number one in the Hoodgie tier $10 patron, Keenan. Thank you so much, Keenan. You a boss. Keenan dropping that $10 like it's nothing. I honestly cannot believe my eyes. So thank you to all the patrons, of course, for supporting the show and allowing me to continue to make the show and allowing me to recoup the money I have put into the show. I very much appreciate you guys from the bottom of my heart. And the patrons aren't just getting some dumb shout out on the show. At the $5 and up level, they are also getting access to a bunch of exclusive podcasts that I am doing over there. For example, the Aqua Teen Hunger Force colon movie film for theaters deep dive that is ongoing, as well as a backlog of other Adult Swim shows I have covered and which I will still continue to do time permitting. I mean, ideally, I would talk about every Adult Swim show over there, so so we'll see where we go with that. And of course, if you cannot support the show, I totally understand. Simply telling people about the show, sharing the show, trying to help me get the word out, that helps just as much and will help continue the creation of the show, which as we heard earlier, is apparently paramount to the existence of the universe. So, thank you. Enjoy the show. Coming up next, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. You know, I want to point out that that whole up next Aqua Teen Hunger Force clip that I play, that actually stopped airing the day that Super Birthday Snake aired. So, they wouldn't have been playing this at this time because they went towards the black and white bumpers that we know today. But 
you know, I, I want a little audio there, so I'll play it. I, I should have said that earlier, that, that it's not historically correct, but sounds cool, huh? Anyways, Supercomputer airing June 15th, 2003. This episode initially airing with a TV PGDL for suggestive dialogue and language, but it was later re-rated as a TV PGDLV, adding the violence tag to it, which I don't know. I mean, yeah, Oog kind of freaks out, but hey, whatever. I'm not the professional. What the hell do I know? More likely, it had something to do with the big welt on Carl's head. I guess that could warrant a violence rating. I don't know. And would you like to hear something else I don't know? I am not entirely sure why C. Martin Croker is credited on this episode because jumping into the Dr. Weird skit now, it is very, very, very quick and there is no dialogue in it. So I'm not sure if that means that C. Martin Croker is some, some other voice in the episode that I'm not catching. I don't think that's the case, though. I think they just listed him out of respect because he had been in every episode up until this point. But to describe this Dr. Weird skit really quick, because as I said, it's a really quick skit, we get the intro music and we see inside Dr. Weird's lab and there is just blood everywhere. And this blood does not look realistic at all. It looks almost like somebody threw tomatoes everywhere and then also just like fake Halloween blood. It, yeah, it doesn't look super realistic. And you got to assume that's because of the budget of the show. They, they can't really make it look super realistic for cheap. I would imagine. But also, this is Cartoon Network in 2003, so I don't know how violent they're able to get. I, I gotta wonder what's going on in the anime that they're showing. I'm sure that there's some violence there, but yeah, we got some uh, what looks to really be just fake blood everywhere. And we have a skull and some bones littered. We have the Dr. Weird, I guess, garage door, as I call it, lifted up wherever he keeps his inventions to show Steve. And that is open. And in that room, like I said, there are the bones everywhere. And then in the darkness, we see some green eyes open, and these eyes look just very cartoony. They're just uh, sideway triangle eyes, I guess, for lack of a better term. They are green. And yeah, those pop up at the last second, and then it cuts right into the intro. So that's it. The assumption here is this monster killed Dr. Weird and Steve, and that's what the bones are from, and that's what all the uh, blood everywhere is from. We see some bloody handprints. And just, yeah, it's, it's a total massacre. It's actually insane. If, if this creature wanted to eat them, it doesn't really make sense why this would be the scene because uh, it seems very wasteful. So, okay, let's move into the main episode. After the credits, we cut right to Frylock's room and Frylock is working on some sort of contraption. It is covered in a purple cloth. It is sitting on top of some very intricate kind of pedestal. Thing, some sort of stand for it. It looks very futuristic, this stand. The legs of it are almost like blades. They're metal blades. It looks like it's very strange. And Frylock has a screwdriver he's doing something. It's weird that he's working on this machine while it's covered with a cloth. But anyways, back to the pedestal. It is hooked up to some sort of flammable gas. And yeah, not, uh, not really sure why that is. So that, that's all that we see at the beginning here. Obviously, Frylock is going to pull the cloth off at some point, but he is working diligently on this device and Master Shake comes up to waste his time kind of to bother him. Master Shake is bored. And real quick before I jump into it, I want to point out how the pedestal and the device on top, it is this whole thing is emitting a shadow on the ground, but Frylock doesn't. It, it's just strange that Frylock is, you know, floating there and there's never really a shadow, but then certain objects do emit shadows. It's just silly to see. But all right, again, Frylock is working on his new device and Shake comes in to bug him about it. Hey, Frylick, you got that game box working yet or what? Come on. This is not a game box, Shake. Well, I'm bored. Just go rent a DVD. I don't want to rent. I want to own. <laughs> then go get a job. Yeah? 
Well, well, Dracula called and he's coming tonight. <laughs> well, good. Then he'll be the one to turn the knob to power the world's first no. hyperspeed supercomputer. No, he doesn't know how I'm turning the knob. I'm trained for this. Where is it? Opening the clip. Master Shake calls Frylock Frylick, which I love when they call each other these little nicknames. It's very endearing and makes the show feel more real. Like these are real characters. I mean, obviously they're food products, but you know what I mean. Shake asks about the game box that Frylock is putting together and Frylock clarifies it's not a game box. And then he doesn't uh, expand anymore upon that. There's some awkward silence. And then Shake brings up that he's bored. So I love the joke there of, I don't want to rent, I want to own. You know, Shake has such big ambitions, but he won't actually get a job to fulfill them. After that, we get the classic Shake line. This is like his catchphrase. Yeah, well, Dracula called and he's coming tonight. Silly how blank is forbidden was supposed to be his catchphrase, but they give him this. Shake having said this previously in dumber days and he goes on to say it at least one more time in the series although it's possible that i'm missing some instances of him saying it maybe he said it more than once so far but yeah that's his big thing dracula called and he's coming tonight this is supposed to scare frylock but it doesn't frylock just you know he, he's heard this before he plays into it saying how dracula will get to turn the knob to power the world's first hyperspeed supercomputer so we know what this is now frylock is making a supercomputer and i love that he's just you know, a lot, in a lot of these episodes, Frylock isn't doing a whole lot. It's kind of implied that he is because, you know, he has to be the one that pays their bills because how do Shake and Meatwad? So it's always great to see him actually working on some sort of technology and seeing more of what Frylock actually does day to day because we know what Shake does. We know what Meatwad does. And it's just cool to see Frylock get some time in the spotlight. Anywho, that clip ends with Frylock saying, oh, well, good. Dracula can turn the knob to turn on the supercomputer. And Shake gets jealous, he wants to do it, so that clip ends with Shake kind of wandering around Frylock's room looking for the knob. So that plays directly into our next clip where Frylock is going to unveil the supercomputer where things just really don't go to plan because, of course, Shake is involved. What else do you expect? Little bit of information I should share before I play the clip. So we see what the supercomputer looks like. It is an orb. Basically, it is just completely reflective. And the funny thing here is it was, I assume, 3D modeled, because you can see the reflection of the lighting setup and everything for this object. So it's just very funny, because to, to have a reflection on something, I learned this doing 3D design, to have a reflection on something, you need it to be in a physical space. You can't just put it in a dark room and expect it to have a reflection. There's nothing to reflect. So we see the room HDR map that was used in this 3D setup. So you see the lights, you see the person taking the picture for the photo of the HDR map. But when this is all thrown into the 3D software and you make this object perfectly reflective, you will get a very clear view of what it is reflecting. And the point here is we can see it does not reflect Frylock's room at all. So it's very funny that this is just reflecting some other room somewhere. And this is an issue you will run into yourself if you ever do 3D design, because a lot of times, what the camera doesn't see isn't actually modeled. So an example here is Frylock's room. There really is no other wall opposite of what we normally see. All they have is this one wall of his room drawn and that's it. So same thing with a 3D design that isn't going to be explored in a 3D space. For example, if you're just doing a picture, a, a still image, like you wouldn't design a whole back wall really. So you have to be careful of reflective surfaces because they might reveal to the viewer that, oh, there's nothing on the other side of this image. It's just all blank space. So yeah, we see the supercomputer and then the knob that we are talking about here, it's a knob on the gas tank that is connected 
to the supercomputer's base. So that's what Shake is looking for, and he runs up to. And he turns, uh, spoiler alert, a little too soon. So let's hear that. You want entertainment? There it is! Just try to imagine a world where emails are sent by your brain before they are written and are read before they arrive by people you've never even met in countries you've never even heard of. Yeah. Now imagine a world where all disease can be cured with one digital pulse. Hey, shake! I told you to wait until I tell you to do it! Dracula did it! Dang, what was up? What are you doing in the shower? <laughs> so, so Meatwad's in the shower bathing. So what happens is Shake turns the knob and then a little flame ignites on the base that is holding the supercomputer. The supercomputer rises up and then it just shoots through the wall. And that's where we see Meatwad through the hole in the wall. He is covered in soap suds. He has soap suds all over his head, uh, almost like he has hair. And yeah, this just really plays into... And these early episodes, and by that I mean all of season one and now into season two, the Aqua Teens have a bathroom, which I just find interesting that the canon really is that they don't have a bathroom because eventually they do say that. But to me, it's just surprising that people don't go with the notion that they do have a bathroom considering there have been many references to it up until this point. And I feel like we've covered a lot of the most popular episodes. So I, w I would have assumed that would have been the precedent for their bathroom status. But uh, pretty, pretty cool to see that people actually go with the most recent information regarding their bathroom. Earlier bathroom references would be Carl and Mail Order Bride saying he doesn't want to use the Aqua Teen's bathroom, as well as in the episode Rabots, Shake has to go inside to use the bathroom. Now, of course, you could argue, oh, well, he, you know, he pees in, in the hole in the ground that they use or, or the pile of clothes, whatever excuse has been given. But yeah, uh, some references to them being somewhat normal in the earlier episodes. Anyways, to the important part of the clip, Frylock has made an extremely advanced supercomputer. He claims it does all sorts of stuff, including curing all diseases. And Shake fucked it up because he turned the knob either too soon or he put too much gas in it. I don't know, but this thing just rose up and then it shot through the wall and it is gone. So from there, we cut to outside Carl's house and we see the supercomputer is flying around the place at breakneck speeds. And shortly after that, we cut to inside the house. We see that Carl has a prostitute over. She has long, curly, blonde hair. I would assume in her late 30s, maybe early 40s. She's got some sort of tattoo on her left arm. It, maybe it's an S or it's some sort of serpent creature. Can't really tell. She is wearing a gold necklace with uh, probably a sapphire on it. She's wearing a very revealing red tube top, a purple skirt, some fishnet stockings, and then some magenta, I suppose, high heels. And then she also has other jewelry on. She has big hoop earrings. She has armbands, bracelets, all sorts of stuff. Carl, on the other hand, is wearing a black cowboy hat, and he has on black ashless chaps, a leather belt with a gold belt buckle, and then he's wearing a little red Speedo, and then nothing else. Well, no, he has his gold chain on, but yeah, no shirts. And uh, we're seeing a lot of leg from Carl, and it's very, very hairy. So the two are having a dispute of sorts, and in front of Candy, there is a large jug filled to the brim with change. So I'll play the clip. It kind of speaks for itself now. What do you mean you got a cut? That's over $200 in there. Oh, okay, Candy. I'm sorry. I guess we're not in America. I guess now I'm not allowed to pay for sex with Penny. <laughs> Great clip. Reminds me of, uh, this is a story I was told, that my uncle bought a Trans Am sports car, and for whatever reason, the dealership made him angry that he was buying it from, so he paid in part for it with a bunch of these large jugs like Carl has, 
just filled with change to make everyone there's job difficult. That's the story I vaguely remember. I don't know all the specifics, but so I, I find this really funny because, you know, I, I have heard of people paying for things with these large jugs of change. But yeah, Candy doesn't want to be paid in this change. She wants to count it first. And Carl's like, what do you mean you got to count it? There's over $200 in there, which, you know, I could believe it's, it's a very large container just filled to the brim with change. So yeah, I think that Candy's okay here. I don't think Carl's trying to pull a fast one on her, but regardless, the supercomputer busts through his wall, hits him in the head, knocks him out, and then Candy drags the change away in our next clip. We get a, a very short Schoolie D cut. Damn, Carl. I thought you knew hoes will be hoes, brother. This drawing of Carl on his back that it shows during this little clip is very strange. I really implore you to pay attention to that if you end up watching this episode alongside me. It's just, there's something off about it, it seems. And also, I noticed, look, I'm not proud that I noticed this, but I did notice Carl's nipple looks kind of weird in this drawing, and it's much pinker than it was in the previous shot when he was standing up. I don't know what happened to his nipple. I don't know why it's pink now. But that's what's going on with Carl. And that is the last we see of Candy in this episode, at least. Maybe she comes back, but not that I am aware of. This being, I believe, the fourth depiction of a woman in Aqua Teen. And we are four for four for all of the women in the show being prostitutes so far. Candy here not even having any lines. So that still leaves, although we've, we have seen four women in the show, only one of them has had any spoken dialogue, being Svetlana and Mail Order Bride. And even then, she didn't even speak English with the characters, so yeah. And look, I'm not sitting here like, oh, Matt and Dave are misogynists, this is sexist. I mean, of course, that argument could be made, at least in terms of the sexism. But, but to me, I think it makes sense, because these characters, for the most part, are all scumbags. You know, Carl's a scumbag, Shake is, Meatwad is basically a kid, and then Frylock, as we saw in some deleted clips from Escape from Leprechopolis, and we will see later this season and throughout the show, Frylock does not have a way with ladies. So it makes sense that the only interaction that these characters have with women are with women they have to basically pay to be with them. And on top of that, on a practical level, the show is usually done with the same few people who are all men. So it makes sense they wouldn't have a recurring woman character because then they'd have to bring that woman in to do these recordings all the time and all this stuff. So it's easier just to keep it between the people who work on the show the most. And that just happens to be men. So, all right, that's that little segment. The computer is gone. We cut back to Frylock's room where Frylock is working on a replacement computer that again has the purple cloth over it and he is working on it. And we, we pan out to see that Shake is taped, duct taped rather, to a chair so he can't get up and fuck things up again. And I should mention Meatwad is there this time, Meatwad joining the episode. So let's jump in and hear how the second unveiling of the supercomputer goes. All right, there. We'll try this one more time. Oh, uh, uh, is that a knob? Get away from that. <laughs> no, turn it. <laughs> oh, that's a knob. I'm going to turn it. You, you should Everybody just it. shut up. Frylock, that's how it works. I'm going to do the knob, okay? Now, imagine, if you will, a yeah, world imagine a world without your boredom. Now will you turn it on before the pizza shows up? This tape is starting to hurt my skin. <laughs> Poor Shake. This tape is starting to hurt my skin. But we heard Meatwad wanted to turn the knob and Frylock's like, no. And it really makes me wonder what Shake did wrong. Is it that he did it too soon? Did he turn it too much? They don't really expand upon that. But Frylock goes to give a speech again and Shake cuts him off. And Shake also reveals that they have a pizza coming, which will play into the episode. Anyways, let's dive back into this scene and please pay attention to the word that Frylock is about to say. Gentlemen, 
the Oogig Miktar. <laughs> come on. You really gonna call it that? Well, yeah. I mean, that's the Klingon word for superior galactic intelligence. And that's what this is. Superior galactic grandma after eating a block of cheese, smoking three packs of cigarettes, and drinking a quart of milk. Disgusting. That's the word. Well, I invented it, and I can call it what I want. Fine, eh? Good luck with the casual sex. I mean it. No, because you won't get it. Not with that name. Anyway, go on. I'm sorry to interrupt. <laughs> so Frylock wants to call the supercomputer some nonsense that I am not going to attempt to say, but it is supposed to be Klingon which is a fictional Star Trek language that, from my understanding, fans turned into a real language. So you can learn Klingon, it is a language, but the name that Frylock spat out is not Klingon, it is pure nonsense. Shake, as you heard, just tore into Frylock for this, which I love. I love uh, Shake kind of being the voice of reason here. Because regardless of everything that Shake ripped on Frylock for, even if this name was Klingon, Nobody would be able to pronounce this. Like, how? It, it's so impractical. It makes no sense at all that he would go with this name. You think he would be smarter than that. But I guess he's just a real big Trekkie and he has to inject his fandom wherever he can. And then that makes us think okay, in this universe, is that supposed to actually be Klingon? And the creators of the show just didn't know Klingon, but they wanted to go with some name like that. Or is the idea here that Frylock doesn't know Klingon? Is, is he supposed to be wrong in this universe? I don't know. It goes back to Revenge of the Moon Knights at the beginning when Meatwad has, I think, eight tickets and Frylock tells him it's seven tickets, but it actually we can see is eight. It makes you wonder, is Frylock supposed to be wrong or is there just some other kind of production mistake? Regardless, let's see what Meatwad thinks of this name for the supercomputer. <sighs> Meatwad, what do you think? My butt itches. <laughs> all right, all right, fine. What should I call it then? Badass mother! No, Snurper. Oh, Schroeder. One empty. No, badass mother 4,000. Twice as fast as your ass. <laughs> yeah, baby! Snurper. Look, how about we all just shut up and I turn it on? Frylock opens the floor to suggestions from Meatwad and Shake, since neither of them like the name that he picked out. And Shake goes with badass mother and then changes his mind to badass mother 4,000. So this is just, you know, just a joke. You get it. But Meatwad actually spits out some uh, names that have some context to them, which first of all, he says Snoopy. Snoopy being the iconic dog from the Peanuts series, you know, Charlie Brown and all that stuff. And then he says, he says Snoopy or Schroeder. Now, I didn't know what Schroeder meant. So I looked that up. That's actually the kid in the Peanuts that plays the piano. So whenever you see that Charlie Brown kid playing piano, that is Schroeder. That is who Meatwad is referencing. After that, Meatwad says the Red Baron, and this requires a little bit more explanation. So a popular thing that Snoopy would do in the Peanuts comic is pretend to be different characters, I guess. And his most popular character probably was that of a World War I fighter pilot. So there were some comic strips about him being this pilot. Really, he's just sitting on his doghouse with a fighter pilot leather cap on. I'm, I'm sure that you have seen this imagery. But his great nemesis during these skits was the Red Baron. So that's where Meatwad's getting that from. These are all Peanuts references that he is spitting out. So we have confirmed Frylock, he is a Star Trek fan, and Meatwad is a Peanuts fan. But ultimately, Meatwad decides to go back with the classic. He says, hey, name it Snoopy. It seems like Frylock doesn't like any of these names. So he just kind of shuts this whole thing down and suggests that he turns the supercomputer on. So let's cut to that clip now. And again, 
pay attention to the first word that Frylock says. Gentlemen, say goodbye to your old desktop. Say goodbye to your new one, too. <laughs> Where did it go? What the hell happened? Is it supposed to do that? Did it bust through the wall again? Yes, it did. No, it didn't. <laughs> do what it do? Well, I got to do, do the poop. Then how did it just disappear unless... Oh, snap. It didn't. So as you can glean from that clip, as soon as Frolic turns the thing on, it just disappears and goes away. But before I get more to that, I need to point out here, because I've mentioned this twice, Frylock starts both of these unveilings with gentlemen, which we noticed that Dr. Weird wasn't in this episode, but, you know, there is a picture of Dr. Weird and Frylock in Frylock's room. This kind of starts bringing up some questions, and I have to assume that this was done on purpose, having him say gentlemen, not once, but twice in this episode when he's unveiling his creation the same way that Dr. Weird has done so many times throughout the series so far. But back to the clip itself, the supercomputer disappears and everyone's kind of confused. Miwad's really acting particularly dumb here. I'm not sure how much I really like that because he, he, he's just kind of trailing on. Where, where do I go to do the poop? I don't know. I just... To me, that doesn't work uh, as much as it's supposed to, I think, because he's just acting like a complete moron, which he normally isn't this dumb. Anyways, Frylock realizes what happened to the supercomputer. It went back in time. So we get a cut to 300 million years ago, New Jersey. So in the exact spot that the Aqua Teens are in, but 300 million years in the past. And this whole next clip is silent, really. There's no dialogue. I'll just describe what happens. We see a pterodactyl, and then the camera pans down more to two dinosaurs, and it keeps panning down. And I should say, all of this is clearly from some other show. I assume some Hanna-Barbera show, you know, like everything else we've really seen. I could not source where this comes from, but just some old, probably 60s, 70s cartoon with dinosaurs in them but but we we keep panning down past the dinosaurs and we see a caveman who is clearly of a different animation style made for aqua teen hunger force he is standing there and the supercomputer is just floating there this caveman starts off he hits it and it's just again it's floating he hits it a couple times and he just starts smashing it into the ground and going crazy because he's a stupid idiot caveman this caveman by the way he's pretty buff he seems to be in good shape but he has very large hands and feet. His toenails and fingernails are long and yellow, quite gross. He's wearing a tan loincloth. He himself is like a very light peach color, and it kind of looks like he's covered in fur almost. It's hard to discern really, but he has orange dreadlocks and a very brutal face, almost like a gorilla's face or something like that, but a little bit more human. So that is all that happens in that short clip. So we come back to modern day in our next clip here where we are back in Frylock's room and he is hypothesizing what happened to the supercomputer. And while he is explaining this, Shake is kind of rolling his eyes. He doesn't give a shit at all about any of this. But Miwad's just sitting there with a smile on his face, listening intently. In order to transmit data from human nerve endings, I had to suspend the RAM in a collodial fluid so it wouldn't uh, overheat with a hard yep. drive spun at the speed of time. Because you're a witch and you <laughs> made it disappear with your evil magic! He's a witch! I'm not well, a witch. Yeah. I'm not a witch! Don't look at him wrong, he'll shrink your head to the size of a pea! I've seen it! Look, the hard drive spun so fast, it sent the computer back in time. To the time of witches! Where you once lived! Bring forth the stakes! You shall burn for your beliefs, witch! My pizza's here! Pizza time! Pizza time! Pizza time! Pizza time! Pizza time! It's all starting to add up now, isn't it? The levitation. The evil book reading. 
Them cream cookies you always eat. <laughs> you a damn witch. Oh, yeah? Well, what you gonna do about it? Eat pizza. Pizza time, pizza time. So we kick that clip off with some computer jargon. Frylock saying they had to suspend the RAM in a collodial fluid so that it wouldn't overheat with the hard drives spun at the speed of time. So the, the hard drives had to spin at the speed of time, which sent them back in time. Uh, you figure Frylock would have seen this coming. A collodial fluid is a type of fluid that is used for fluid replacement. What a collodial fluid really is, it's a lot of medical jargon that I'll leave out because it's not really important to know. The RAM being the random access memory of the computer. Um, yeah, uh, just, just some computer jargon. Obviously, this isn't a real scenario, so it's hard to really dissect how accurate this is in terms of technology. Although I do have questions what suspending the RAM in a fluid has to do with the hard drive spinning. Those are kind of two separate things, so not entirely sure. Real quick, a little computer lesson for you. RAM and the hard drive are similar in that they're both computer memory, but RAM is used to store basically short-term stuff, uh, stuff that the CPU needs in real time, while the hard drive stores all the data that it doesn't really need. So uh, again, th they are similar things, but they don't do the same thing. So I don't understand what one has to do with another. But again, th this is just computer jargon. It isn't really supposed to make sense. But the bulk of that clip just evolves into Shake and Meatwad claiming that Frylock is a witch. And Shake thinking that really just everything is a movie like he does a lot in these episodes, really makes me think that Shake would uh, enthusiastically join the QAnon movement, who kind of seem to also think that everything is a movie. If Aqua Teen was a bit more like South Park, and if they were still making episodes, I think that that would be an idea that Matt and Dave would love to explore. Lastly, I want to shout out that uh, a part of Meatwad's reasoning and his logic for Frylock being a witch is the cream cookies that Frylock eats. For some reason, that, that has something to do with being a witch. but. Yeah, Frylock just comes down to, yeah, what are you going to do about it? And uh, Meatwad doesn't have anything to say. He just goes to eat some pizza because they think that the pizza is now there. The pizza that was alluded to earlier in the episode. So I like that they brought that back. That kind of moves this scene along here, gets them out of Frylock's room. And when it comes to getting out of Frylock's room, remember that Shake was sitting in a chair and he was duct taped to the chair. So when he leaves the scene... He kind of bounces out as you would if you were taped to a chair trying to move out. You just move it up. You bounce up and, and inch along. He gets out that way. But in our next clip that we're about to cut to where he is opening the door, he is no longer duct taped to the chair. So somehow between leaving Frylax room and getting to the door, he escaped from all that duct tape without an issue. One thing I want to touch on before we move along, though, is is back to Frylax saying, yeah, what are you going to do about it? I like that he is taking a bit of a rougher attitude and he's kind of just putting up with less shit. In this episode specifically, for example, with Shake's Dracula bit. But we've seen it, I feel like, a few times throughout this season already, where Frylock isn't such a pushover. He's starting to kind of show his bad side after we saw Super Birthday Snake. While again, this episode was made first. It was the first in the production order. And you see it here. You see it later in Super Birthday Snake. Overall, Frylock's character is changing a little bit, which I appreciate. Because just being the goody two-shoes straight man gets old. So, all right, Shake and Meatwad go to the door because they think the pizza's here, but it is, in fact, not the pizza, which I would like to point out, I don't think shows up at all throughout this episode. So, who knows if a pizza was even ordered now that you really think about it because Shake doesn't have any money. But, yeah, it is not the pizza man. It is the caveman that we saw in the previous clip. So, he is now in modern day holding the supercomputer. 
And he has received a bit of a makeover. So not only do we have that original drawing of the caveman with the dreadlocks and all that stuff and the loincloth, now he is wearing some new clothes, uh, sort of, and he has a new hairstyle. So that kind of goes to show the budget increase on this show. Not only are we getting a new character by himself, but we get two versions of him. So the version we have now, the modern day caveman, his hair has been brushed out. He no longer has the dreadlocks. He has, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, just his hair is sticking out all over the place. And this caveman played by John Glazer, who we will get into after the clip, but I want to point out his hair kind of reminds me of John Glazer's hair for some reason. I don't know why. It's a little crazier, a little longer, but uh, for some reason it gives me those John Glazer hair vibes. And this caveman is wearing a blue and green striped tie, but it is not tied correctly. There's just knots all in it and stuff. He's trying to look presentable, but he can't quite pull it off. Last but not least, the caveman is wearing a pair of slightly yellow whitey tighties that are being held up with a bungee cord over his left shoulder. So, and there's a big rip in the underwear too, where the bungee cord is kind of uh, strung through it. So that's his new outfit. That's his modern age getup and uh, looks ridiculous, but at least he's making an effort. So let's jump into the clip now, finally, of Shake answering the door. Okay, no, 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 thank you. No, we don't, we don't have any money here. Thank you. So I'd appreciate it if you dragged the crap on my computer, my grass. Thank you. That's nice. That is Master Shake slamming the door in the caveman's face, and Frylock notices the supercomputer, so he reopens the door. So our next clip is a little bit longer. We have uh, Master Shake. I want to say slams the door again. So he slams the door. Frylock opens it and then Shake slams it again and then tells Frylock why he should not talk to the caveman. But before we go in, I want to mention, of course, this caveman voiced by John Glazer. John Glazer kind of coming up with H. John Benjamin, who has been on this show already as Moth Monster Man. And then both of these guys are going to show up later in the season in the Broodwitch episode. These two guys play the stick characters that we see whenever Shake eats the brood witch and, and goes to that other realm or dimension those are the voice actors of h john benjamin and john glazer there and they also return together in the aqua teen hunger force colon movie film for theaters as fbi agents so those guys are buddies they're in a lot of stuff together but john glazer he's not just writing h john benjamin's coattails he has his own lucrative career most notably he was on parks and recreation as councilman jeremy jam and I used to be a big Parks and Rec fan, so that was my introduction to John Glazer before I realized that he was these characters on Aqua Teen. Obviously, I had seen these episodes before Parks and Rec, which came out, I think, in 2008. But yeah, I didn't realize that they were John Glazer until doing this podcast. But yeah, I'm sure uh, anyone here who has watched Parks and Rec, you will recognize him as Jeremy Jam on that show. Side notes, I used to really like Parks and Rec, but uh, I find myself being more of an Office fan now, which initially I liked Parks and Rec more than The Office. I couldn't get into The Office for a while, but once I got into The Office, I like it more, I think. Whenever my fiancé has Parks and Rec rewatches on, I just, I don't know, I find it annoying for some reason, which is unfortunate because I did really love it. But uh, yeah, that, that's besides the point. Besides Parks and Rec, John Glazer, besides the billions of other things he's done, he has had a lot of Adult Swim shows. For example, my favorite was Delocated. He played the guy with the mask on. The idea of that show being he is in a witness protection program, but he's also on a reality TV show. So it's just goes to show how stupid this character is. And, and that show is, is way better than I think it really should be. I really liked Delocated. But he was in Stroker and Hoop. John Glazer loves gear. Neon Joe, Werewolf Hunter, all sorts of stuff. He's all over Adult Swim. But... 
This is John Glazer's Adult Swim debut, at least from everything I could find, was being in this episode of Aqua Teen. So that's enough of hearing about John Glazer. Let's hear John Glazer as Oog the Caveman. Don't give the guy money or we're going to be the hobo hangout over here. Hello, me Oog. Uh, did you go to <laughs> Vietnam, Oog? Oh, hang on. Let me shed some tears for your fake plastic toes. Leave the room now. Oh, I will. And I won't be here when he tells you how sick his family is. And that's why he has to inhale all the Freon from... So that's even more of Shake slamming the door in this guy's face. He's accusing Oog of not being a caveman, but being a Vietnam vet. Vietnam being the war that America fought in the 60s over in Vietnam, uh, trying to fight the communism over there or, or, or some such thing. My grandfather, unfortunately, passing away in that war, but I'd like to think if he didn't, he would have fake plastic toes, like Shake is suggesting that Oog does. And it's crazy to think, because my grandfather was 24 when he died in Vietnam, and I am 28 sitting here talking about Aquatine, so uh, hope he'd be proud of me. Anyways, Master Shake just kind of walks away, you know, babbling on about why they shouldn't answer the door to this guy because he's just asking for money. So let's hear what Oog actually has to say. Oh man, thank God you found my computer. Where did you find it? Right here, 300 million years ago. This way back before Oog's spine straightened, front lobes develop, comprehend rational thought, master English language. <laughs> hey, meet one! Your dad's here, he wants to make amends! I love the kind of smug way that John Glazer is playing this as this game. He's like, master English language. Like, he's so proud of himself, even though he did not really master the English language. Of course, his English is very good. You don't have a hard time understanding him, but he says me instead of I for everything. Like, I feel like that's a simple thing that he could uh, fix, a simple way to make his English better that he chooses not to. But to the bulk of what Oog is saying here, he's, he's saying that his spine straightened, his front lobes developed, he cannot comprehend rational thought, and really, he is far and beyond what we saw him as 300 million years ago, where he just started, you know, beating this thing into the ground the first time he saw it. Now he's a little bit more uh, mature, more wise. He just carries himself with a whole new air of intelligence. Shake comes back into the room and he sees Oog standing there talking and he says, Hey, meanwhile, your dad's here. He wants to make amends, which is just so funny that, uh, that he, he's just going to bring Meatwad into this and also get Meatwad's hopes up because this isn't the first time that Shake is bringing up Meatwad's parents. He brought it up in PDA as well, getting Meatwad excited thinking that he has parents. But of course he doesn't. And that kind of could bring us back into the loop of the whole Dr. Weird thing with Frylock saying gentlemen and all that stuff. But that, that's more conversation for when we discuss that part in the movie because they kind of get into that there. Anyways, back to this scene here. Oog is about to kind of explain what has happened to him. And while he is explaining, we get a bunch of Ben Prisk illustrations the same way we did with the Cybernetic Ghost of Christmas Past from the Future. If you would like to hear more about Ben Prisk, please go and check out the episode on Cybernetic Ghost because I go into all of his background and stuff there. But it's great to see him make a return. And this is not the last time we will see his illustrations this season. And before we jump into this clip of Oog explaining everything, something I just realized now while making this is that his name is Oog, O-O-G, and whatever the hell Frylock wanted to name the supercomputer was, like Oogig McTach or something like that. So there you go. I, I tried to say it. I'm sure somebody wanted to hear me try and say it. Something like that. 
And so, yeah, Oog and the first word was like Oogish or something like that. So they both start with O-O-G, which I, I, I assume was on purpose, but uh, who knows? So it's so kind of funny that that potentially Oog is just named after the supercomputer that has kept him alive all this time. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's hear what Oog has to say. So there me was beating Boulder into powder because me couldn't eat it and magic ball land in lap. Naturally, me think, all right, free egg, because me stupid and me caveman. So me spent about three days humping and bust open with pie bones so he could eat it good. Then magic ball shoot oog with beam, and next thing me know, me go out and invent wheel out of dinosaur brain. Magic dino wheel rolls for three short distance until me eat it, but point is, me get smarter. Soon, me walk upright, me feather back, dirty matted hair into wings for style, <laughs> and me stop to use bathroom, as opposed to me just doing it as me walk. So that's Oog's origin story there. I like how it plays out a little differently from what we saw when we actually go back uh, 300 million years in the past. He's just standing there. He's not really doing anything, but, but in, in these drawings, he's uh, up to something. He's like hunting or whatever it is that he's trying to do. And... Yeah, I'm not going to go through and explain all the drawings slide by slide because there's just so many of them that it would take up too much time. So I really just implore you, obviously, as always, to watch this episode if you for some reason haven't. I can't imagine anybody who has not seen the show uh, is listening to this. But anyways, something I do want to comment on is the fact that Oog, he, it says that he feathered back his hair for style and it shows him walking with this like 70s hairdo. And now his hair is just all blown out and crazy in the modern day. So I don't know when he ditched that really nice feathery look. I, I think he should have kept that if he wanted to look better. Anyways, that's Oog's origin story. Let's head back into this scene and hear Frylock's reaction to the story. You know, that whole disease-free thing was just a marketing tool. I mean, to be honest with you, it's just something I thought up to sell uh, the thing. How do you <laughs> think me live this long? And me so smart from knowledge? A good diet? Me told you Oog spent half time eating dinosaur brains. Me no like brains. You know, Oog, that is an amazing story. And I cannot thank you enough, man, for bringing back my second prototype. Now, if you just excuse me. No, me no bring back. Me think it missed something. What? Kick-ass fighting games with action missiles. <laughs> I get it. So you can sublimate your primal hunting instincts in a safe, civilized environment. No, me bored. Bored! <laughs> whoa, whoa! Ooh, ooh, all right, all right, please. Please, it's okay. It's okay, it's okay. That hurt my battle. Oh, yes, it is, oh, yes. Well, you meet one daddy, and he said, how'd you know? Yes, I know. <laughs> all right, so a couple things to touch on here. First of all, Frylock reveals that it doesn't actually cure diseases. That was just a marketing ploy. I mean, that's just a really disgusting marketing ploy. That's just a complete, absolute lie. I don't understand why he thinks that that would help sell the thing because people would pretty quickly learn that this doesn't actually cure diseases. So yeah, I mean, for as smart as Frylock is, he's also uh, kind of dumb in these ways. It doesn't make sense why he would think he could get away with that. But anyways, he he asked for it back from Oog and Oog's like, no, I'm not giving it back to you. I, I brought it so you could, uh, you could put some games on it. He wants a software update because he's getting bored. And then from there, he goes crazy and starts just trashing the Aqua Teen's house. He picks up shakes green chair starts slamming it to the ground and just goes on a huge rampage so in this next clip oog picks up the tv he's about to slam it on the ground and frylock pulls out his keys and jingle jangles them in front of oog's face which puts oog in a hypnotized like state he is completely tranquil when observing the jingling keys real quick i want to touch on frylock's keys he has a dark green key tag 
and he has three keys on the keychain. There is a brass key, an aluminum key, and a copper key. At least these are my estimations. I am no metallurgist or anything like that. I'm not going to be able to just pick this out 100% perfectly. That's not why you're listening to me, but that's what they look like vaguely. So let's jump back into the scene where the house is trash at this point. Everything is broken. There are holes in the wall. The uh, refrigerator is all dented up and stuff, which is funny because Oog never actually goes in the kitchen that we see, but, you know, the cabinets are all broken and stuff like that. So, all right, let's check that out. Whoa, 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 whoa. All right, all right, please. Just set the TV down. Here, here, look. Keys. Jingle keys. Board. 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 Hello? Oog? You okay, man? <laughs> me get crazy when me no have cigarette. Uh, me try to quit, but me find it hard. Me love refreshing taste. Uh, you sure you no mind? No, of course. <laughs> Fire! <laughs> ah! <laughs> okay, look, 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 here are the keys. Ooh, magic keys make Oog all better. Jing, jingle, jangle. John Glazer really putting in a great performance here, destroying his throat to scream as this character who at this point has just been screaming a lot and definitely will continue to later. Spoiler alert. There's a little bit in there where Oog is like, oh, sorry, if I don't have a cigarette, I get cranky or whatever. And he pulls out a cigarette. It's just all completely white. What's in his mouth? And then, and then he puts his hand like you're holding a lighter, but he's not actually holding a lighter. And just a flame comes out of his hand. And that's why he freaks out. Like, oh, fire, fire, which I don't blame him. If my hand, you know, spontaneously combusted like that, I too would uh, go into a bit of a freak out mode. But yeah, it's just just silly how dumb it is. It's just a fire comes right out of his hand for some reason. It makes no sense. You have to assume the uh, supercomputer gave him that ability to do that. But yeah, Frylock has discovered the secret to keeping Oog under control. It is just jingling your keys in front of his face. So Frylock is about to call Shakeover to jingle the keys for him so that Frylock can talk to Oog and get to the bottom of this supercomputer business. Shake, jingle, will you jingle, come in here, jingle. please? I don't have to touch him, do I? <laughs> Look, just come here and jingle these keys while I'm talking to him, okay? I know how to do it. Don't try to talk down to me in front of your friends. I have friends, too, <laughs> and they're coming over later. Uh, Look, Oog... I, I mean, I don't want to come down too hard on you. We're going to watch a lot of TV shows, too, me and my friends. <laughs> I'm jingling. Dan, I'm doing it. <laughs> so, uh, Shake is uh, really on fire in this scene. I really like everything he has to say. He's just like, oh, I know how to do it. Don't talk down to me when it comes to jingling the keys. And then he says, oh, I, you know, I, don't talk down to me in front of your friends. I got friends coming over later. And, you know, that's just something that some people will do is... is when they're around you, they're cool, but if their other friends are there, then they'll uh, talk down to you to uh, seem cooler to their friends, which Shake is accusing Frylock of doing, which I, I love very dearly. So uh, Frylock starts to go on to talk to Uga, then Shake interjects. He cuts him off with how him and his friends are going to watch loud TV shows. So at the end of the clip there, Shake's like, all right, I'm, I'm jingling them or whatever. So yeah, Shake is jingling the keys finally, and Frylock is about to have his conversation with Oog now that Master Shake is done interjecting. Look. Oog, this ball, as you call it, is mine. And I created it, and I kind of need it back now. You no understand. Magic ball make Oog feel good. Help Oog live long time. Watch out, daughter. a real. <laughs> Red Fry Man want Oog to die. Damn it. I suppose I could hook you up with a few games. Games good. Sounds very good. So, the interesting thing here is... Why does Oog need Frylock to give him games? Oog, I mean, I guess he, maybe he doesn't have any money, but 
Why can't he just buy a PlayStation or a, a, some sort of Game Boy or something? Why does he need Frylock to put the games on this specific device? Kind of silly. You know, he could have gotten video games well over 20 years earlier than, than now. But uh, hey, he's finally getting hooked up here by Frylock. And, and yeah, the point is Frylock wants the supercomputer back because it's his. But then it's revealed that... By taking the supercomputer back, Oog will die, which is a big uh, moral dilemma, ethical dilemma, that Frylock, of course, doesn't want to kill Oog. He doesn't want Oog to die. So he gives in. He's going to let Oog keep the supercomputer. And a little side joke there of Meatwad buying into the fact that this is his dad now. He jumps up into Oog's hand at, at one point. Oog is holding Meatwad, which is very cute. So now we cut to Frylock's room where he is putting the games onto Oog's computer. And I want to mention that Oog is standing there still holding Meatwad, which is really cute, but it does play into the episode. And I got to wonder, first of all, what Oog thought when he knocks on a door that gets opened and there are food products living there. First of all, you have to wonder how he reacts to that. And it's funny that he doesn't react to that. It's funny that nobody really reacts to them, at least up until this point, when they see how, you know, these strange food product creatures. But second of all, you know, I guess Oog is a bit more civilized now, but it's surprising that he doesn't try and eat them, if I'm being honest, especially Meatwad. You would almost expect him to uh, chomp down on that little guy. Thankfully, though, he doesn't. He just wants some games on his computer. So let's see Frylock put him on there. Here you go. The ultimate action fighting game. Soltar. No, 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 no. Solitaire. <laughs> look, look at the jack. See the jack there? When you do something good, he winks at you. <laughs> he looked dumb with curly mustache. Bored. Bored. Ah, bored. Wait, wait, chill out, chill bored. out. Look, look, he shoots missiles too. See? See, he's a warrior. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> then me like better. So Frylock is putting Solitaire on the supercomputer, which Oog mispronounces as Soltar, which is so funny. But yeah, he's putting Solitaire on there, which Solitaire itself is a decent game, but that's not really what Oog was looking for. He wanted something action-packed with missiles when he was talking earlier. And instead, Frylock is putting on Solitaire, which is not that kind of game. And it also makes me wonder. So we see that the supercomputer is sitting there and we see the transfer onto the supercomputer. How do you interface with this thing? How do you interact with it? I guess uh, I guess I kind of missed the mark there, though, because Frylock did say that it's uh, like there's like a mind link thing. So I guess that's how you use it. You just think about it and then you could see on the screen area kind of uh, what you're doing. But it's never really shown to be in use up until this point, and I don't think they really show it in use after this, so it does kind of lead you to some questions. Anyways, Oog starts to get bored by Solitaire, and then he drops Meatwad because of it, so that's why you hear Meatwad say, ow! And then Frylock quickly has to turn things around before Oog starts freaking out and trashing his bedroom. So he's like, look, he fires missiles, uh, the Jack, and what he's doing there is he's just sending out the card to go onto the other pile of cards. And that kind of calms Oog down. That works. So let's hop back into the scene and see where this takes us. Give him Clam Digger. I don't think Clam Digger is... Clam uh... Digger. Give Oog Clam Digger. <laughs> oh, you're gonna love this, boy. Tyrone calls you up, you know, on the phone, and it says, I can dig my clams in you, stupid. And you gotta say, no, nah, boy. And you're gonna race down to the beach with your buckets and your shovels. And the object of the game... Let's find parking. <laughs> no clam digger. <laughs> and games convert into package? Play over internet small subscription fee? Well, sure, I suppose it could. Give to Oog. Mine, me crazy. 
I like that Oog wants to pay a subscription. It's just, it's just funny. I, I love this specific request from Oog. This becoming popular around this time of, of games having that small subscription fee and the uh, subscription package to other games that you can also play on the subscription, which we still do today. You know, there's a little thing called the Xbox Game Pass, or I guess the Microsoft Game Pass. If you've got a PC or an Xbox, let me tell you, you got to get on this Game Pass because it's 10 bucks a month and you get to play basically uh, every game that's ever existed. Uh, so, that, so it's not a bad deal. I think Oog would really be a fan of the Xbox Game Pass subscription model. But anyways, in that clip, Meatwad wants Oog to get Clam Digger. And this, this is just a meandering explanation of a game. But this is not the first time that Clam Digger has been brought up. It was brought up in the episode Balloonenstein. So season one, episode five, they were mentioning Clam Digger and they brought it back now a season later to finally describe what the game is. And it has nothing to do with clams because Meatwad reveals that the object of the game is to find parking. And I just have a very, very, very clear recollection of being probably 12 at the time, sitting at the family computer in the living room with the TV on, Adult Swim was on, and this very moment of this episode was on. And I remember what I was doing. I was sitting in the game Penguin Chat, which later turned into Club Penguin, but this was like much simpler. There was maybe three areas you could go to in the game and it was just a social game you just talk to people this before you know i assume it was a lot of kids because i mean i was a kid but it wasn't owned by disney or anything yet like it is now where it's tailored to kids and i remember just uh talking with people on that game while this was on i remember laughing at this joke then this clam digger joke and let me tell you i'm laughing at it now and back to clam digger while it is not a real game or it was not as of this show writing about it and you know putting this episode out somebody has since made a fan game called clam digger where you do try and find parking and all that good stuff it has real retro graphics 8-bit stuff with a cool soundtrack and there is youtube footage of somebody playing it uh i speculate the guy who made it uh, probably and I will put a link to this video in the show notes and in the description of that video, there is a link to download it. Now, I don't know why you would want to download this because watching the footage, I mean, it's a funny novelty, but it doesn't really look like a fun game. You're just driving around in a huge parking lot looking for parking as you would expect. But hey, it's there if you want it. Anyways, though, that last clip, it just devolves into Oog going crazy again because I don't know where he doesn't even get angry this time. Frylock is giving Oog what he wants. He's saying, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm sure that this can, you know, give you your subscription for games. And then Oog grabs it, and then he just tries to rip his head off. He's going nuts. He then proceeds to, like, with the force of him trying to pull his head off, he's somersaulting, and then he just pulls himself out the window, out of Frylock's window, to the outside. So that is Oog's exit. Let's check that out. Me rip Oog head off! Rah! For a lot of dollars! Oog head off! Oog is just pulling himself, again, like somersaulting, down the sidewalk while the supercomputer is just rolling alongside him, which is a beautiful exit into the sunset. But there's something that I really want to touch on here, and that is the window. So from the outside of the Aqua Teen's house, we see two windows, and the one that Oog comes out of is the one closest to the garage. Now, first of all, this really makes you think that Frylock's room is in the garage because it doesn't really make sense. Like, what would that back window go to? Because it can't be in Frylock's room. What room is back there? We never see a room back there at all. You would assume Frylock's room would be the one in the back and that the window in the front would be to the garage where we know the danger cart is kept. But yeah, it looks like Frylock's room is the one up front. 
because of the window situation. But that's not really what I wanted to touch on. What I wanted to touch on is the fact that from the outdoor view, the window is gigantic. It takes up almost most of the wall. And then when we get a close-up of the window shots, when Frylock and Meatwad are looking out the window, the window is much, much smaller. It looks more to be the size that you'd expect a window to be, and Frylock and Meatwad's faces barely fit out of it, as opposed to the further shots where this window is gigantic. Furthermore, when we see into the window when Meatwad and Frylock are standing there, the perspective behind it really makes no sense. We're seeing a wall that it doesn't make sense we would be seeing. And this all comes down to the fact that they only have the one drawing of Frylock's room, really. So they can't show other angles. They just kind of show the one angle that they have, even though from that perspective, you wouldn't be seeing that wall in that way. Additionally, when we have the far shots of the giant window, we see... Uh, kind of like a some weird perspective of Frylock's bed. It seems like they made an attempt there to make it seem like you're looking at it from an angle, which which is nice. I, I wouldn't expect that from the show. But yeah, th this window, it just moves us through space and time because it doesn't make any sense when you see through it, uh, besides the fact that its size is always changing, which I appreciate and is fun to see. Anyways, ending that clip, we had Meatwad on Frylock's bed saying goodbyes are so difficult sometimes. And that brings us into our next clip, which is total nonsense and is just a transition to the next scene so let me play that it's a little hip-hop kind of thing and what happens is a, a fly buzzes up to Meatwad's head and it lands on him and it's just like dancing it's like a hip-hop fly dancing on his head so let's listen to that clip really quick the fly is wearing a hat like a uh, winter beanie kind of it is red and blue it also has boots on and then it's wearing armbands on every single one of its arms too so this thing is it's dressed up and it's ready to dance so that transitions us into the aqua teens living room where meatwad is sitting in the now broken green chair because oog trashed the place the place is still destroyed and he's watching tv and he sees a commercial with a uh, familiar face and a familiar supercomputer on it. I like how that is on TV. That's right, dude. Send emails from your brain. And now it's got hot new games like The Legend of Soltar. <laughs> Plus it cures all diseases, dude. I kick my zits to the curb. Dude, you're getting an Oogie Jmiktar. You buy, make Oog rich, rip head off. Ah! <laughs> ah! Oh, man, now that I have seen that on TV, that is the shiz night. <laughs> Well, apparently, since this guy's been around for about 300 million years, he kind of beat me to the patent. Well, you made that other one. Get that one. We'll play with it. <laughs> I don't know where it went. Frylock doesn't know where the other supercomputer went because it busted through the window. That was the first one that Shake turned on, and it just went haywire and hit Carl square in the head earlier in the episode. So some great continuity with that. But before we get on to that, I got to talk about this commercial really quick. Voicing these two young men in the commercial are Matt Malero and MC Chris. So we have MC Chris returning to the show. He, he is a PA on the show at this point, but he, you know, obviously he doesn't voice in every single episode. So it's cool that they got him on here instead of just having Dave do another voice or something like that. These two guys, they're just standing outside in a park, it looks like, with the supercomputer floating near them. The guy that Matt Malero voices has orange hair. He's a white dude with a, well, it looks like a pearl necklace on or something. He's wearing a gray shirt with an orange collar and then blue jeans on, and his hands are in kind of like a, uh, I, don't, I don't know what to call it, it's like a, like a hip-hop kind of thing, like his fingers are like making signs and shit. I don't really understand what he's going for, but that's what he's doing. And then MC Chris's character, he has on a backwards red baseball cap, 
He has brown hair underneath it. Again, he's a white guy with a yellow polo shirt on. I think that's the name for it. And then he has a white undershirt. And then he's wearing what looks like khaki pants. And his hands are similar to the other guys. So they're supposed to be like real cool teens or something like that. And they're just hyping the supercomputer up. Uh, the MC Chris character mentions how it kicked his zits to the curb. And in the background, while this is going on, we see Oog. He's just throwing himself around, uh, you know, trying to rip his own head off. So very silly. They are selling the supercomputer for $999, which is not a bad price at all. That is very reasonable for what this thing does, considering, you know, graphics cards alone these days run you up that much for the graphics card part itself. This is the whole computer, and it has the mind link, everything that you want from it. And it's only $999. Not bad at all. However, I should point out that from inflation from 2003 to 2022, $9.99 back then is worth about $1,500 today. So, you know, a bit more, but still, I think that's not a bad price in today money for what you'd be getting from that supercomputer, especially if it does cure all diseases and makes you live forever. I think that's, <laughs> that's a small price to pay. I want to mention how the background in the commercial looks to be the same exact building landscape that we see behind the Aqua Teen's house, and I assume that it is the same. Shake reveals how after seeing the supercomputer on the TV, he like is in love with it now. He thinks it's the shiz night. He thinks it's the coolest thing because it was on TV, so now he cares about it. I also like the way that Shake phrases, oh, get the other one, we'll play with it. <laughs> like He's willing to totally help Frylock now that he realizes the potential of this thing and after seeing it on TV. And something I want to mention here is that after the commercial is over and we pan out to the Aqua Teens talking about the commercial, uh, it looks like on the TV that it just replays the commercial visually, but not the audio because there is stuff moving around on the TV and it looks to be the very beginning again of the commercial. So it just kind of plays twice on their TV. Anyways, I'm left wondering. So Oog is selling the supercomputer now, but he had to go to Frylock to even get games put on it, which they mentioned in the commercial, of course, The Legend of Soltar. He had to go to Frylight to get that on there. So how in the world is he producing more of these things? Maybe he just outsourced it to some other company that knows how. I really don't understand. You know, I, you have to assume he's selling more than just his own one. You know, he doesn't, want, he doesn't want to get rid of it because he would die. So how is he making more of these if he had to go to Frylight to get games put on it in the first place? I don't know. You know, can't really look into it that much, I guess. But just, a, I think, you know, food for thought. But that clip ended with Frylock saying he doesn't know where the original supercomputer went, and that brings us right into our next clip, where Carl just lets himself in, and he has a response to what Frylock is saying, which, which Carl does a lot. He'll just instantly come into their house and, and join in on the conversation, which is funny, because it's like, well, how would he have even heard what they were saying because the door was closed? But anyways, here's Carl coming back for some screen time. And I should mention that he has a giant welt on its head. It is purple, blue, green, just disgusting looking from where the supercomputer hit him when it flew into his house and knocked him out earlier in the episode. So again, great continuity there. And it reminds me of a comment that I got from Weird Mountain on Instagram in regards to superhero, where he says, I love how it uses body horror trope as pure comedy. Same with supermodel. And almost same here. You know, now they're having Carl with a little bit of body horror. Of course, not as bad as in superhero, not as bad as in supermodel, but it's still something. So that's Carl entering the scene. Let's hear what he's got to say. Yeah, good luck finding it. It shot a hole through my roof. Hey, guess what it bounced off of? <laughs> I gotta go. And he did it. Uh, uh, Look, I know that you're staring at it. Hey, I mean, I gotta drain it three times a day so <laughs> my brain can think good. 
We're hoping that's temporary. You didn't happen to see which way it went, did you, Carl? So Carl says he has to drain this thing three times a day, which means he has, I assume he has been to the hospital since then. So it makes me wonder how many days apart this is from when he got hit. You assume it's all on the same day, but it's possible it's not. Because after that first supercomputer busts out of the Aqua Teen's house and hits Carl, it's, you know, between then and when the episode picks back up, Frylock is working on a new supercomputer. So I don't know if he made both of these at the same time or if he made this second supercomputer, the one that goes back in time to Oog, if he made that one completely from scratch later on, you know, if it's been multiple days, who knows? You'll also notice that at the beginning of that clip, when Carl comes in, uh, I should mention all the Aqua Teens are staring at him when he comes in there. They have their eyes wide open, just staring at his head. But Shake is like, oh, I got to go. And uh, Frylock did it as he's leaving. That's because, you know, it really was Shake's fault because he did something with the knob that he wasn't supposed to. Now, again, it, that really wasn't clarified. Did he turn it on too soon? Did he, you know, turn the knob too much? We're not really sure what he did, but whatever he did, did cause the supercomputer to fly through Carl's house eventually, which is, you know, what caused the injury that Carl has. So it is Shake's fault, even though, you know, I kind of blame Frylock more than Shake because Shake didn't know any better. He didn't know that would happen. Frylock should have had some safety measures in place to guarantee this kind of thing wouldn't happen in the first place. Anyways, that last clip ends with Frylock asking Carl if he saw where the supercomputer went. And from there, we instantly cut to outer space. And guess where we're going? We're going to the moon, baby. Let's see what's going on over there. A is for apple, J is for Look, jacks. Uh, free egg. Damn yeah, for straight, for schism. Try having omelets now, Denver. Omeletoids. Did you hear what I said, Denver? Or shall I turn it up for you? <laughs> that is Ignignock just flipping off the camera, his trademark. And I love this little Moon and Night cameo at the end because a big criticism I always have is how they completely take over the episode. And it's nice to get a little clip of them just in their natural environment, you know, the moon. And they're just hanging out. We get a little clip of them at the end. It's just nice to see that. And I kind of wish they did stuff like that more often, which I know that they do at least once later in the season. Anyways, funny callback to a previous joke because the Moon Knights think that the supercomputer is an egg. And Oog said when he thought that it was because he was a dumb idiot, he was a stupid caveman. And here we have the Moon Knights who always talk about how superior they are, how intelligent they are, but they think it's an egg as well. They can't tell that it's not an egg. So just a great joke there. And yeah, we got the Moon Knights going off. I'm not going to repeat everything that they said, but just some classic Moon Knight dialogue. And according to the Aqua Teen Wiki, this is the first time Ignignoct changes his facial expression. So take that with you for the rest of your life. And that ends this episode, season two, episode four, Supercomputer in the Bag. And before I give you my thoughts on this episode, let me give you the thoughts of some people who saw it the very night that it aired. That's right, we are heading back to the Anime Superhero Forum, and I will be putting the link to this thread in the show notes. Our pal The Landstander makes a return here on June 15th, 2003, saying, Started a bit slow, but then got good and kept getting better. Carl had a pretty funny scene in this one. Oog was hilarious, from his opening story to his Oog rip Oog's head off. The commercial was dead on. The ending with the Moonanites, probably my favorite part. Overall, I'd say an A-. Positives. Oog, Carl's pennies, Oog rip Oog's head off, computer commercial, Moonanite ending. Negatives. The opening with the actual computer itself was a bit slow. And yeah, that's a great observation from Landstander, because... That is true. It starts off kind of slow, not too slow. It's not like meandering and unenjoyable like some beginnings of the show can be. I feel like the pace is all right, 
but it definitely picks up once Oog enters the scene. But, you know, all that stuff beforehand is a little bit necessary until we get to that. But yeah, like I said, there's that whole joke from Meatwad about him just being a complete idiot at the beginning where he's like, oh, where do I go to do the poop and all this stuff? That stuff, you know, not necessary, but the episode definitely picks up and really benefits because of that. And because of how great the rest of the episode is, I don't really hold the beginning against it like I do with something like Superhero. Next up, I want to read Dagasu's comment on June 16th, 2003. I love tonight's episode. Lots of great laughs throughout with no real dull moments. I love the mispronunciation of solitaire, the smart caveman who said me instead of I, pizza time, the caveman going crazy and wrecking the house, Carl and the hooker, and of course, the Moodenites. After the last few kind of not bad but not great episodes, it's great to have an episode like this. Kind of reminds me of a late season one episode. A plus. And those are all the comments I'm going to read because everything here was positive. I didn't really see much negativity about this episode. It was pretty universally loved over on the anime superhero forum. And I can totally see why. This is a really strong episode and I am just left wondering why it was not the first to air for the season. You know, we get our first actual guest star of season two, and it's just a tight episode, basically from beginning to end. We get Carl in it more than just a, a quick amount. Some funny violence happening to Carl, which uh, throws us back to the beginning of the show. We get the Moon Knights. I just don't know why they didn't lead with it, but I'm glad that we got it regardless in whatever order we got it in. And I just really enjoyed this episode. I was so excited to dive back into it. And you know, this podcast episode is almost an hour and a half long so far, so that usually means I like the episode. I got a lot to say about it. And last but not least, I want to mention that I like the uh, parallels almost to Interfection because it's another computer-based episode, and we get some video game talk. We get some Clam Digger, some Soltar, good stuff. So where do I rank this one? I think I gotta give this one five winking jacks out of five. It's just a great episode. From top to bottom, I, I like the way that it changes a bit as it goes on. It starts off as, you know, Frylock tinkering around, and then it goes to the stuff about Oog, and then Oog leaves, and then we deal with the comedy of the characters, you know, realizing they're not going to make money off of this, and also, you know, the whole Carl thing where his head's all bruised in, and then we get some Moon Knights. So we're kind of all over the place in this episode, but in a good way. It never feels like it's old. I'm never ready for it to be over, like, for example, Superhero to bring that up again. It's just an awesome episode. I hope. You feel the same way I do. Love John Glazer. I got to check out more of his stuff because most things I've seen him in, I, I love him in. So, you know, I really need to dig a little bit further with that. Definitely check out Delocated if you haven't. It's on uh, probably HBO Max or Hulu or something. It's not hard to find. It's a really, really funny show. So that is it for me. As always, thank you so much for hanging out, for talking teens with me, for sticking around till the end here. If what I do brings you value, signing up at patreon.com slash dancing is forbidden would really, really, really help me out. Otherwise, just talking about the show, sharing the show wherever you can, that helps just as much. And it would be a big fat mistake to end this episode without giving a special thanks to the homeboys, Sean, Ian, Josh, and Keenan for being super supporters of the show. I hope every single time you guys play Clam Digger that you find parking right away. But all right, I appreciate you all. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week when we watch Season 2, Episode 5, Supermodel. See you later. Bye-bye.